Welcome to Enscope, the healthcare security podcast. Each episode, we bring you interviews, technical tips, and a unique point of view on the challenges facing the ever-changing healthcare ecosystem. Here's your host, Mike Murray. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Inscope, the healthcare security podcast. This is an episode I've been planning for a while. And actually, when Alyssa Knight was on the first time and we heard a little bit of a foreshadow to the work that she was going to be doing on fire, I had this thought and I thought, I know a guy who is, when I was at GE, there was a guy there that whenever I had a question about any healthcare standard anywhere, I would call John. And I thought, man, wouldn't it be cool if we could get Alyssa when that research is published? And John, who's part of the group that has been involved in developing a lot of these standards together so that we could get the history and the present of all these security things that are happening. And we finally managed to pull that off. So rather than introduce them myself, I'm going to have each of them give a bit of a quick bio on themselves. But Alyssa, maybe as the repeat guest, you want to introduce yourself first. Yeah, sure, Mike. I was laughing because like right when you were talking about planning this in your head this whole time, I was thinking pinky in the brain, you know, and it's like cute devil horns coming out of here. But I'm really excited to be here. It's funny, I, I, I'm usually the big deal in, in episodes. And for the first time, I'm actually nothing compared to John. So I, I feel weird sort of introducing myself in his company, but um, he's definitely a huge deal. And it's I'm really happy to be here. So thanks for the introduction, Mike. I'm a recovering hacker of 20 years, recovering perfectionist, recovering entrepreneur. So I pretty much have been doing a lot all the last couple of decades. I, for those of you who don't know me, and if you don't, shame on you. Why don't you know me? <laughs> yeah, they missed the last episode is what yeah, that tells they did. me. They, that's what happened. Published author on hacking connected cars, hacker of embedded systems, hacker of APIs. Started hacking APIs back in... I guess 2018, hacking financial services, hacking healthcare APIs, financial services and fintech APIs, hacking automobiles through the APIs, taking remote control, federal and state law enforcement vehicles through their APIs. So really a big believer that we're in an API first world today and we need to do better at securing them. So yeah, that's me. And John, how about you? So yeah, I... I... <laughs> I don't deserve the, uh, the accolades, but uh, yeah, John, John Murky, I, of course, agree. I've been involved in the standards for healthcare since around, you know, 1999, um, where as part of a uh, new acquisition from Marquette Electronics into the big GE, all of a sudden HIPAA became a, wait, what are we going to do about HIPAA? And, and you know, so, I, you know. <laughs> And I'm like, well, I know a little bit about that from a couple of years ago. So, you know, I ended up getting tagged with security and privacy and, and became part of the interoperability center of excellence. So I am a co-chair within HL7 of the security work group, have been for probably getting upwards to a decade, but I'm also co-chairs over in IHE of the IT infrastructure committees. I have been co-chairs within ISO and ASTM and a bunch of others. So I've worked through a lot of these standards and to me, the standards are an important part of the discussion, 
but they're not all the part of discussion. And I think, you know, that's where I think, Alyssa, you and I overlap or work together, so to speak, because, you know, one of the things I start all of my tutorials with on security and privacy, which there's one coming up this later in January, I always start off with, this is all about risk management and the interoperability standards can only tell you what you should do to enable interoperability, how you should get the right information to the right people. It doesn't explain all of the ways you have to make sure that Alyssa does not get access to the data. <laughs> and every single security standard always speaks about risk management, always speaks about the blocking and tackling that tends to be the technical failures on top of all of the people failures that, you know, none of us can really fully solve. So I'm actually pretty excited about being paired up with Alyssa. Aww. To me, we're kind of two sides of the coin. You know, I'm, I'm there trying to explain how it should be done, what we've put into the standard to enable security, enable privacy, enable transparency, enable these things. But as part of the standard, I can't demand that it be done right. <laughs> I right, certainly yeah. try. So I have I have a great joke to start our show out with. So healthcare API hacker and godfather of security at HL7 walk into a bar. No, it's scary. No. The, the, uh, whiskey neat. Yeah, whiskey neat. Nice. I'm a whiskey sour girl, so it sounds like you and I have a lot in common. This should be a fun episode. So Mike, why don't you kick us off? And no doubt. I was going to throw to you anyway, actually, because it's your research paper that is the occasion for us That's getting together. Us together. And, <laughs> and for those that are aware, I mean, I'm sure most of our audience is aware that the CARES Act has been really driving fire sort of adoption, especially smart on fire for patient data portability in the last couple of years. And so this protocol standard that was being adopted slowly really accelerated in the last 18 months. And so Alyssa, I think your research is incredibly timely. Maybe this is the place to start and give us a kind of an overview of what you've been up to and what you found and what's really occasioning our convo today. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I wish I had a pen to write down all the points John brought up about implementation and should do. And that's a thing that I'm always trying to explain to people is that when a healthcare provider or payer implements a Fire API, it's not like they're walking to Best Buy and buying a Fire API off the shelf, shrink-wrapped API off the shelf, and it comes complete with the security. And the vulnerabilities are always inherent in how it's implemented. So the research. A couple years ago, I was approached by an API security vendor. I'm a content creator, and I create what I'm coining adversarial content, meaning that I prove the efficacy of a security product by hacking something and showing how their product would have prevented it. And I do this through storytelling, through visual and written storytelling. And so a company called Approve reached out to me and said, hey, Alyssa, we really like what you're doing. We're an API security vendor, and we think there's a real problem in healthcare. And so what we did is we created this campaign where it was basically broken up into two phases. Phase one was mHealth or mobile health and telehealth APIs, which are actually two different things. mHealth APIs and phase two would be fire. Phase one was 
for lack of a better word, if you didn't see the last episode, you should definitely go watch that. It was a great episode on that phase, but talks about the vulnerability findings in 30 mobile health APIs and ML apps that I downloaded and hacked. And the systemic problem that we have in authentication versus authorization. So that was phase one. And phase two is fire. This is what I have been sort of neck deep in for the last, really last few months in trying to work with the different EHR companies and systems that have agreed to participate and better understand fire understand the technology. A lot of people have this misconception that hackers just sort of wake up and you're come out of the womb knowing how to do this stuff. I didn't even know how to spell fire when I walked into this. I'm like, F-I-R-E? So I had a lot of learning to do. I'd, as I'm sure John will cover. I had a lot of learning to do about what HL7 is and HL7, the standard versus HL7, the organization, understanding really what the ONC was and this mandate and all of these other things. So once I did a deep dive into the, I guess we'll call it the political bureaucratic side of things, I really dug into the technology side. And it's really interesting to me, the fire in general and how I actually, as a consumer, as a patient, didn't know that if I went to one hospital that was using one particular EHR system and another hospital that was using a different one, that those systems couldn't talk. So I think there's a lot of value in what's happening around FIRE. I think it's very important that we do continue to innovate, but my mantra has always been making sure that we do that securely. What have I been up to? Hacking FIRE. (laughs) Playing with FIRE. So many puns that we can talk all day about. But, so um, many puns. <laughs> so yeah, go there. You would not be the first. <laughs> I was about to say, we could, we could, I had so many title ideas for my research. So we titled it Playing With Fire. And really, it's me just hacking fire APIs and trying to find vulnerabilities. Now, let me make this abundantly clear. There's, and I didn't find this out until just recently, that there's fire APIs. And then there's certified fire regulated fire APIs. And there's all these different things within that sphere. And then there's, you know, regular APIs that people custom build and develop. And one of the things that one of the major EHR systems talked about was their concern or fear of the fact that really John and I can start an organization or a startup company and say, okay, we're going to do this with fire and we're going to pull this data from this particular EHR system and we're going to do what we want with that data and that organization doesn't know about it. They don't have any control over the security John and I implement. There's no sort of checks and bounces, if you will, on as far as going from a more secure enclave or system to a less secure enclave or system. And John, please yell at me and tell me I'm wrong if at any point I'm wrong. Yeah, it depends on your circumstance. Okay. And and indeed, what you just said is one of the concerns that the healthcare organizations and the big vendors are worried about is that they will be perceived as having contributed to mm, to a breach poor yeah. yeah and when i said it depends if that is a business partner that they're using to do some data management or some kind of a task then yes they are under hipaa indeed responsible 
for the failures of their business partner. Completely contrary to that, though, and ONC has provided guidance on this, if a patient comes to a healthcare provider and says, under patient right of access, I want my data, the healthcare organization, the EHR vendor, has to just give them the data. And they cannot put constraints on it and say, oh, wait a minute, this app that you're wanting us to send the data to, we know it's a piece of garbage. They can't do that. And that's because patient right of access very clearly says it's the patient's responsibility to have done that check, which is a positive in that there has been data blocking under this excuse that the app that the patient wants me to send this data to or the email address that the patient wants me to send this to is not secure. There's been data blocking mm. of legitimate use of data. So it lets data loose to get into the patient's hands. On the other hand, and I argue this point in other places, the patient is really, I mean, the common patient, not Alyssa, not Mike, the common patient is really a poor evaluator of the security of the application that they have seen on the internet. And, oh, yes, I can figure out your medical condition if you just send me your data. You know, they have no tools to do that analysis of that application. So you can see the reason why the EHR vendors and the healthcare organizations didn't like this idea, because yeah. they can see through the concern. So it's a very difficult situation when the patient right of access is used. Yeah. And John brings up a really good point earlier when he was talking about implementation, because I want to make this abundantly clear. And it's important in this research compared to other vulnerability research that I've done, and that trying to figure out whose fault it really is for an insecurity, for something is that the right word? Insecurity? <laughs> that seems wrong. <laughs> That's wrong use of the word. Uh, for something being not secure. And for example, one of the things that I'm finding is the most endemic to a lot of the APIs I'm testing is a failure to authorize. Meaning that I'm authenticated, I have a token, and I should be there. I'm authenticated, I should be allowed to talk to the API. But a failure to authorize as far as whether or not I'm authorized to request the data that I'm requesting. One of the things that I found, for example, in the most recent API I'm testing, and this is, and forgive me, I'm, I can't recall the actual acronym right now. Oh, USCDI? Thank you. It has a US C CDI. In it. Starts with US. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, USCDI is a set of clinical information that they deem as fundamental. So there's all kinds of data that could, you know, that FIRE can describe, but there's a set of critical clinical data that they're saying, hey, for vital signs and laboratory results, let's do it all this same way. So this USCDI is a bundling of some clinical data that there is specifications that are called US Core that are built on FIRE, that are built on Loink and, and a bunch of other things, but it's a subset of all of FIRE. So FIRE is hitting towards 200 resources. USCDI is what, about 20, 25-ish resources. So predominantly things like observations and 
Yeah, there's like STU, which is standards for trial use, and then DSTU drafts for standards for trial use, and there's different levels, I guess, maturity levels. Yep, those are different levels of maturity. DSTU has what was a term that, that HL7 used 10 years ago. They're no longer using DSTU because draft standard for trial use seemed to be duplicative of draft and trial use. So they just dropped the word draft. So it's now just standard for trial use. So that's why you see DSTU2, but you see STU3. They just dropped the D because it seemed redundant, not because of anything else. Yeah, and so this is maybe an area you could really help help me understand because this is like, there's not just fire APIs, like there's these different sort of versions, right? So one of the EHR companies, and I won't mention who, sent me this and it was, it came out of a conversation where the narrative was about making sure that if any, if I find any vulnerabilities in these fire APIs, that I'd be very careful about whether or not it's tagged with a specific version of fire. So for example, he said, Technically, our US CDI version one APIs are not yet certified. If you were to follow his advice, you would only test the DSTU2 fire APIs from the CCDS. We plan to certify later this year and expect to be among the first vendors certified. I think it's likely a number of major vendors that will certify later this year. So <laughs> hold on for a second. What 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 people who are not watching this on video missed was John starting to laugh as Alyssa was reading that that's your government bringing you more acronyms built upon acronyms by the way acronym soup right what are you talking about i'm just a hacker trying to blow this shit yeah. up there's so let, let me simplify it and this of course is not really security relevant but the fire standard is evolving it's maturing and anytime you you do a standard, you kind of have to go through these maturity steps to kind of say, well, we think this is good. Others seem to have found it useful, but we're still not 100% sure. We're sure this thing is, we're not going to make any more breaking changes. We might enhance it, but we're not going to make any breaking changes. So you've got these different maturities. And essentially, when it comes to fire, there has been a couple of revisions of FHIR that made different parts of it normative, that we won't make breaking changes. Back in the early years, nothing was normative. Everything was trial use. And some things were less mm. than, than even trial use. That's why on every single resource, there's an FMM maturity model. So there are some resources that are were just brought into the fire spec in the past two years that are DSTU zero, which means oh, wow. even the committee doesn't think this is worth looking at. Oh, so like in terms that I can understand, so it's like alpha, right? It's not even beta. It's like alpha. Yeah, zero is that the committee has started to draft something, but we're not ready to listen to anybody outside of the committee members. One is when the committee says... Yeah, we think we're pretty solid on this, but boy, we really don't think we're the only ones who should comment. And as you head up to five, five is the last step before we will make no more breaking changes. It's normative. So one, two, three, four, five, normative. Wow. Okay. And right now it's at two. DSTU two 
Yeah, so that's different. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, I've never heard of this before. That's different. So there's releases of fire. There was one, two, DSTU2, STU3. We're now at R4. We're getting ready to do balloting for five. And oh, there's actually a there's actually a four B that's out right now that's going to be a four one. So those are releases, but within the releases, various things are more solid than others. So you actually have to find a the release, so DSTU or R four, and then within there. You have to go find the resource that you're interested in to see its maturity level. So Mm. in R4, if you look in there for observation, where all the vital signs are, observation is now normative. So it took us until R4 to get observation normative. Okay. There are other things that have been in since the beginning that are not yet normative. Some of the security stuff is looking to get normative in R5, which is probably 2023. And so the big challenge that I see here is, and just bringing this back a little bit to Alyssa's research, but something that is really important for people who are not as tied into this world, as especially as John is, but as, as kind of all of us are, is just because those releases exist from the FIRE organization doesn't mean that any given implementation will hew to a specific release perfectly or implement all of the things required, mm. does it? No, yeah, absolutely. Perfection is, is absolutely, yeah. The big advantage that counters that, though, is that the majority of implementations are using one of two or three reference implementations. So there's the Happy Toolkit, there's Firely's Toolkit, the .NET Framework. Are you also referring to like Smart on Fire? Because there's Smart on Fire, and then I know there's also the Argonaut Project. This is like, because I know enough to be dangerous, there's just this huge spider web of all this stuff. And it's like trying to, you know, really demystify that. I know we could spend all day talking about this, but one thing that I did want to mention was Yesterday, I in one of the new AP, Fire APIs I tested, I was able to actually request other patient records besides the ones that I should have been able to access. And this was because of a failure with authorization. And for our audience out there, this it's really important that I mention this. This is not the fault of HL7 or John or anyone. This is the fault of the particular implementation. Yes. I guess the best analogy I can use is like John and I can take a bucket of Legos and we can build something completely different from each other, yet we're using the same Legos. I guess this is the best analogy. The vulnerabilities that I'm going to publish from my research is vulnerabilities that were introduced because of that specific implementation, not because of any fault of the standard or HL7. I'm sure you'll find some standards problems eventually. (laughs) Um, (laughs) you look hard enough. If I haven't already. (laughs) Yeah. The example you give is a really good one that I oftentimes have to remind people, you know, Hey, every access, you have to look at the token. You can't just assume, Oh, I looked at this token 10 transactions ago. It's good. You know, yes, you have to look every single time you have to inspect and be robust to some garbage coming in on the request. And then there's even some nefarious ways to use the query parameters that are are even more subtle than the one you bring up. 
which, you know, yeah. you're just simply, you know, saying, Hey, I, I got, I got this token for patient John, but I'm going to ask for patient Mike. Oh, look at this. I got the data, but there's other yeah. ways you can use searching parameters. You know, for example, one of the ones that we've dealt with is oftentimes in, in the, in the case of privacy, when the token will only indicate what you should have access to, but the implementation has to look at the results and see that all of the results should be given to this user as well. So one of the examples that we throw out quite easily is of VIP patients. The common clinical user doesn't have access to VIP patients. You know, when Britney Spears is in your hospital, only certain, you know, clinicians have access to Britney Spears. But the query for give me patients whose first name starts with B will naturally include Brittany. Right. But Brittany will be marked as VIP. So in the results set before it's delivered back to the client, you have to look through that and go, oh, let's eliminate these VIPs. Well, you get to that point and you're starting to realize that, wait a minute, I asked for a page size of 20 and I was just given 19. That's a really good point because it was one of the vulnerabilities that I found in my research was there was an over-reliance by many implementations to filter out those things at the client level. And what developers need to understand is... I have an API client. I don't need to use your consumer, your API consumer app that you built and you expect me to use. I can use Postman. I can use Burp Suite. I can go outside of that jail. And if you're doing filtering at the client level, you've got a real problem if I can see all the results in an API client. It's the oldest rule in security. Architecturally, that might be the right answer, though, is that the client app is more trusted than the user, right? Mm. So that might be the policy that's put into place, but it's probably not. <laughs> well, and it's never a good policy to rely on client-side filtering. I mean, John, an old friend of ours, Matt Clapham, would have gone absolutely insane. And I've seen him go absolutely insane whenever whenever a product is designed that way. Because to Alyssa's point, you cannot mandate what a client accesses your server with. Like there is yeah. just no way to demand that they have to use your version of your web browser. Yeah, the, the case that I, again, I've got a bunch of use cases in my tutorial. One of the cases is being able to deliver sensitive data to the client where I know that the app is more trustworthy than the user. One example is where I can deliver sensitive information that would normally not be allowable to that particular user unless they did a break glass. So I'm feeding the client that I do trust with information that they should be blinding from the user, but it's there in case the user declares, this is a medical emergency, I really need to know, are they on this drug? So there are some cases where the application is more trustworthy than the, the user. Now, if it's a mobile app, mobile apps should never be seen as more trustworthy than the, the user because they're in the complete control of the user. But yeah. business to business is still fire. You know, you still use the same API definition for business to business. The token just means something slightly different. The token is a binding of, well, this is the current user who has triggered the event. They're not the only user who's going to see the data because it's going to get incorporated into the EHR of the requesting organization. 
So there's very differences in policy depending on whether the API is being used by an organization or an end user. Yeah, and I think there's valid arguments on both sides of the aisle, right? And I'm well aware of the fact that in security, it's not just black and white and there's gray area. And, you know, there's valid arguments for both the attacker and the defender in that situation. You know, obviously there's reasons behind a developer just sending everything back from the database and expecting that whoever's writing the consumer app, the API consumer, that they make sure they filter out just what they want to see. You know, whether you want to say that's laziness on the side of the developer or being forward compatible with future needs, I'm sure arguments can be made for either of those. But there's also a lot of arguments that can be made from the breaker, from the attacker who's saying, oh, you're giving me everything. I I didn't see this in the app, but I see this now, you know, because I just sent the same request to Postman. I think probably the most common finding for me right now is broken object level authorization or what are called BOLA vulnerabilities. Broken authentication, mass assignment, just a lot of things that you can see is clearly not being checked against the OWASP API security top 10. Just starting with that list alone. Issues like hard coding tokens and keys. It's 2021 and we're still hard coding tokens with no time to live. That's just valid for a hundred years. Just things like that. But, you know, and then that begs to ask, okay, you know, from the developers, okay, well, we have to put these tokens or keys somewhere. Where do we put them if we can't put them, you know, if we can't hard code them? And that then begs for another conversation around in-app protection and uh, code obfuscation. But I think there's definitely, when you have something like this, that's a standards framework and the security, and I like how John started the show out with, this is all about risk management, because it's true, you're, you're really managing risk here because you're not going to fix every vulnerability. You're only going to fix those that are an unacceptable level of risk to the business. Well, and unfortunately, in most of these cases, you're not going to know these vulnerabilities. Alyssa, this conversation shows the really interesting challenge of the healthcare organization that uses the Fire APIs, right? You're reporting your vulnerabilities to the vendors, and you're working with the vendors, and those vendors will have some amount of ability or desire or impetus to fix those things. But we could talk about this for four hours, but I'm not going to keep us on forever as much as I love just hanging out with you guys. I was going to say, like, this better not be the only show I get to do with John, because I want to. I think this. I think this is a multi-part series here. I love that idea, and I'm quite happy to to facilitate that exact idea. Yeah, because because I have questions, Mike. <laughs> oh, I know. I mean, we haven't even gotten even started. We barely barely touched the surface. But actually, there is a question I want to throw to both of you. And actually, John, maybe I'll throw to you first because the thing about fire and all of these APIs is most healthcare delivery organizations are being forced to implement this in some way. How do you even perform risk management against this thing that, I mean, frankly, if it's not obvious to every listener, this is a really complicated, complex subject that the healthcare delivery organization has very little control over. How do you manage the risk in that situation? Continuously. Continuously. That's a a good answer. Yeah, honestly, if I get only one message across, if you're thinking you're just going to secure your Fire API and, yay, I'm done, you know, move on. Uh, no, it's got to be a continuous fight. You better be ready to, to man that fight for the long haul. There are so many tools available today to help you. Fire is based on HTTP REST. And therefore, you've got the whole set of security tools that are designed to help you 
there. There's nothing fire-specific about the majority of what you need to do. Yeah, there is some stuff in the fire space, the things we've been talking about with query parameters and the fact Scopes that the patient resources. Tokens. Yeah, yeah. You know, those are, are the harder ones to deal with. But so much of it is just simply do your input <laughs> validation. Yeah. My response to your question, Mike, is four words, and it starts with the letter P and ends with Land Do Check Act. You want to talk about international standards. That's why I'm drunk on the ISO 27001 Kool-Aid. And, you know, I really get lost in the sauce on the PDCA lifecycle. I think security should be, I agree with John, it should be a continuous cycle, a continuous OODA loop, right? Plan, do, check, act continuously. That's what security should be. It should never be point in time. Two new zero-day exploits have come out since the beginning of this show, you know, since we started talking. You know, new zero-day exploits come out all the time, and we need to be cognizant of that. Just because the Fire API that you implemented today, that your implementers, your developers came back and said is secure today, doesn't mean that it's going to be secure tomorrow. We saw that with even with JOT tokens and the vulnerabilities there with hashing, the hashing algorithm and being able to set that to none. So I just think that this needs to be continuously improved and also hack your own stuff. Don't wait on someone to come along to hack it for you. Everyone should be hacking their own code and it certainly shouldn't be the people writing the code. Trust but verify. And if you're outsourcing this, where a very shocking thing for me in my journey has been, I thought a lot of this was being developed internally at these organizations. A lot of them are outsourcing it. Like these are billion dollar companies, tens of thousands of employees. I thought they would have buildings of developers. A lot of them are outsourcing this stuff. And just because the company that you've outsourced to, they claim to be experts in fire APIs and on their website, they have a page about their security and, you know, <laughs> how they're, how they're, you know, SOC 2, Type 2 compliant. Trust but verify. Get the, yeah, you're, you're outsourcing your development, but that's not, you know, you're not abdicating it either. It's outsourcing is not abdicate. So my advice is to also hack your own code. All right. And with that, I like to end every show the same way. John, where can we find more of you? People listening, where can they find more John Markey? Well, I'd like to say go to my blog, uh, Healthcare Sec Privacy, but I haven't been doing much there lately. I think the majority of the reason for that has been uh, lack of getting good questions. So I love to engage <laughs> with these discussions and come up with a, oh, yeah, how would I solve that? So I am open on Twitter, John Markey on Twitter. I'm open to even emails to John Murky at Gmail. And just be aware if you ask me a question and I come up with a long answer, it'll turn into a blog just because that's the easiest way. So I'm very happy to have questions sent my way. And he means it. I often do the, I, as I said at the beginning, John is often somebody I will reach out to with questions because he's just such a fountain of knowledge. Alyssa, where can they find you? Yes, yeah, so a few surprising new announcements. I actually just found out that I'm speaking twice at Hims 2021. So John, I don't know if you're going. I, I would love to have, sit down, have drinks and break bread with you at Hims. But I will be keynoting along with amazing people like A-Rod and some other folks. But I'll be keynoting at the Hims conference and also speaking there with Mitch Parker 
but the people can find me at hymns or they can uh, find me on YouTube. Definitely subscribe to my YouTube channel. I live stream and upload a new video every week. Connect with me on LinkedIn, subs- you know, follow me on Twitter. And I would love, because I'm sure there's a lot of Fire API nerds just, just salivating at the mouth right now for this conversation. I would love to see us do this again. I think there's a lot more that John and I can nerd out on and uh, would definitely like to come back when I publish this research. We're coming very close to the end here on it. So plan to have it actually published before Hacker Summer Camp for Black Hat, DEF CON, and HIMSS. So yeah, definitely that's the best way you can support me is follow me and, and watch my content. But yeah, I'm, I, I think there's definitely hashtag more to come with John and I. Oh, there's more to come with all of us. I'm also speaking at Hims, and Oh, uh, yay! So Congratulations, Mike. We yeah. will spend some time out there. I don't know if, John, if you're planning on being out there, but we, we let's find some time and uh, yeah, let's sure. hang out. I'm virtually speaking at Hims, but I'm doing risk management. Oh, okay. I'm not going to that it's... cesspool of, <laughs> of COVID uh, you know, variants, Delta, and whatever comes. <laughs> the yeah. human Petri dish. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, Las Vegas. Well, that, yeah, it, that's Las Vegas in anyway. August. Yeah. But, yeah. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Well, we, we will virtually break bread at, at HIMSS. And uh, Alyssa, yeah, I will see cool. you there. But thank you both for today. We should do, we will definitely need to do this again. This has been a blast. And thank you all for coming. Thanks for joining us for this episode of InScope. To make sure you never miss an episode, Hop on over to www.scopesecurity.com to sign up. Or you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. And if you have ideas for topics, guests, or technical tips, please contact us at podcast at scopesecurity.com.